Hello everybody, my name is Pat Hogarty and welcome back to California Real Estate Practice, Real Estate 310. This happens to be show number 10. And uh, what we want to do today is we're going to move on and finish talking about the chapter that deals with selling. One thing I want to mention before I go any further, and I'll keep mentioning this, that remember that the first midterm exam is coming up very soon. You're going to want to go to the Blackboard website and check the time and the date for you to come to the campus to take the exam. Uh, I keep mentioning this and I've put postings up and sent email out so I, hopefully everybody's getting the word and to know the date and the time and as I mentioned before the reason why I don't mention it on this particular show is because we're going to be rebroadcasting this show in the future and we don't want to confuse everybody. So with that I'm going to go ahead and move on and continue to talk about the information that's in the chapter that deals with selling and as I mentioned last time that we met that this chapter is just covered or includes a tremendous amount of information. It's probably from a practice standpoint, from the ability to earn a living in real estate, probably one of the most important chapters. In fact, you may very well find yourself, if you do enter the real estate profession in the sales capacity, of actually taking additional classes on selling and things like consumer behavior to try to understand how to work with clients, how to counsel with them, how to help them out. It's very, very important because you can be extremely knowledgeable from a technical aspect and understand everything about deeds of trust and grant deeds and and uh, surveys and legal descriptions and financing but if you don't have that ability to work with clients and help them find homes to buy or help them sell their homes then you're not going to be very successful in the business so this is why this is an extremely key chapter so anyway I'm going to be moving over here back and forth what we want to do is talk I think where we left off the last time was on about page 164, 165, and we talked about why buyers buy. And as I mentioned before, when we were talking about this particular chapter, the reason why people uh, buy homes. Now, there's people that buy investment types of property. In other words, duplexes, fourplexes, apartment houses, shopping centers. That kind of real estate is bought on a very unemotional way. In other words, people take a look at it, they do some calculations based on the income they're going to receive, and they buy it based solely on the numbers, in a lot of cases, from an investment standpoint. But when you're dealing with a buyer who's going to be purchasing a home that they're going to be living in, and when I say home, that can be a condominium, a townhouse, a single-family home, or whatever, it's a very emotional decision. So they are seeing themselves sitting in front of the TV, swimming in the pool, thinking about their kids playing in the backyard. So they're concerned about totally different things, you know, like how close are the schools? Are the, is the area safe for my children? Uh, is the backyard big enough for us to have our barbecues? It's all those, it's a very emotional type of a decision that they were dealing with. It's not a financial, it's emotional first and then after they realize that, yes, this is something I would like to buy, then the question is, can I afford to buy it, and what are the payments? But it's an emotional decision. So just as you realize, that's very, very important. What we want to do is talk about, they're talking, uh, as we move on from there, something called selling techniques. And the first part of this is really breaking down from just more or less a, 
if you will, a kind of a common sense or a basic uh, thing talking about when are you going to be, when you're meeting with a client. And one of the things that they really sort of stress here in the beginning, I believe, if I got the right thing, is that probably the most important skill that you're going to want to develop with working with people is what we call listening skills. This, again, is going back to that counseling issue. Because what you don't want to do is you're not trying to impress the client with all your superb knowledge of real estate and about how you know all kinds of fancy words. You're really trying to do is figure out what is it that they really want, trying to get a really good understanding of what that is, kind of frame it if you need necessary rephrase it to them and say so, as I mentioned the last time, so you're talking about that you want a three-bedroom, two-bath house with a two-car garage, but it's important for you to have a swimming pool. That's important for you. It's important for you to be close to school, so you're trying to get a framework or an understanding of what they want and what they want to pay. And then you're trying to think then of the inventory or what's on the market and how you can match those two up, how you can bring those two together. So listening skills are very, very important. You're going to find out you're going to keep your mouth closed a lot, not like I'm doing now, but you know, not talk very much, but listen very actively to what they're doing. Uh, as I mentioned before, don't try to impress them with any kind of fancy vocabulary or unfamiliar terms. The reason why is you may be talking to somebody that is what you would consider to be a well-educated person, a doctor, a lawyer, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, you know, it could be the president, who knows. But the fact is, is those people are usually in and out of the market, and they maybe, are, maybe bought something five, six years ago, and they're not familiar with whatever the most current terms are or what's on the market. So you're trying to make it so it's easy for them to understand. It's just like an, if you've ever taken uh, with me uh, real estate principles and I talk about when you do the real estate math, you're not trying to impress them with your math skills. You're trying to make it easy for your clients to understand the conceptual ideas of what's going on. After that, they talk about different ways that you would meet with clients. The first one they say is probably the best way is what we call face-to-face. Face-to-face -face meetings are really good because you have some kind of an ability to be able to talk to them and have a dialogue and hopefully be able to you say something they say something you can look at their body language are they kind of looking at you and yawning like a lot of you guys do <laughs> are they staring into the distance are they looking like they're afraid you know are they standing there like this which usually means that they're a little bit uh, um, how could you say they're a little bit protective they're afraid of of you coming at them you know you're learning what the body language is so, in other words, it's a good way for you to communicate in that, in, that, in that aspect, okay? Direct communication is the first one. So it's a dialogue back and forth. Uh, and then they give you a lot of different techniques that you can utilize. They talk about, uh, you know, they just mention to you as you go down, soliciting business on a direct uh, contact basis is more effective than by using telephone or mail. You know, per personally, you know, like if you're, uh, if you're trying to... Uh, you know, meet with them and show them property. When they come into your open house and you have an ability to stand there and talk to them about the homes that are in the area and share with them the information and knowledge that you have, in a lot of cases that's the best way to do it. That's the best. They say the closer you get to the prospect, the better the chances are of the sale. In other words, if you're there and you can show them things and realize, oh, wait a minute, I think this person, I need to show them a picture or I need to show them some information. As they talk about in the book, the different types of people, you're going to find out whenever you're dealing with people, there are different types. There are going to be people that you're going to need to show all the details. They need to know every single solitary piece of information. They don't feel comfortable unless they got the calculator out and they're analyzing a lot of stuff. That's at one extreme. 
You have the other extreme that just basically, hey, listen, show me the house and you take care of the details kind of person. So you're going to have to learn to deal with these different types of people as you work with. Uh, if you want to get prospects to remember you and your company and your properties, get them involved in the sales process as soon as possible. When we say involved in the sales process, you know, it's kind of interesting. Notice that anytime you go out to buy something, you purchase something, that anybody that's usually fairly good in sales will get you involved in what's going on. When we mean involved, like if you're going to buy a TV, they'll have you hand you the remote control. Here, push the buttons, raise the sound, touch the TV. You know, if you have a car, that's what they do. The, the biggest thing is, is, hey, listen, get you from being a looky-loo, get you to sit in the car. Because the chances of you buying the car by you starting to participate in the sales process is better than you just, than, than just standing there and asking information. So it's the same thing with the house. By getting them, if you're trying to list a house, you'll see agents that will do things and say, for example, could you hold the tape on the other end of this while I measure the room? Okay, could you help me with this? Could you help me with that? Getting the people involved, handing the book. Say, listen, can you find the house in there? I don't have the right address. Getting people involved is very important. Making them part of the, of the process helps. Repeating and summarizing important points is another way. In other words, you'll talk about a lot of things. There will be a lot of discussion back and forth, but what you're going to kind of want to do is summarize it and say, so what we're talking about, and then saying, you know, we talked about a lot of stuff, but what you're really interested in is buying this three-bedroom, two-bath house with a swimming pool. You're looking at, from what I understand, a price of somewhere around three hundred and fifty to three hundred seventy-five thousand. It's important for you to be close to schools. You need to move in in the next two months. You kind of want to use. You're going to put down about, you know, ten percent down payment, and then you ask him and say, "Is that correct?" you know, and making sure you're on track. In other words, that feedback is important. Okay. Um, the next thing that they mention here, just so, and we can spend, again, hours doing this, but the next type of way that you may communicate with somebody is via letter. And I guess we could answer not only a letter, but we could talk about email. In other words, when somebody is talking to you, and it kind of drives me a little bit crazy, you know, like it's, for example, say you guys, my students, you know, and you may send me an email and say, what date is the exam? And I'll give you the date. And it might be something fairly simple to do. But you'll find out even if you email me, if you start to email and you're asking me a question and I start to realize that it's more than I can answer in the email or that we need to do it face-to-face, -face, I'll say something like, hey, here's the short answer or here's an answer or listen, maybe it's better give me your phone number and let me call you. So I've done that with students. I can recognize from the, from, the, from, the, from the tone of the email that it's more than what we can do, uh, you know, more than we can do in writing. I really need to get the person on the phone. It might be like, for example, I've had students that will call me up or send me an email and say, I'm having a problem doing something in Blackboard. And, I'll, and after I can tell by the tone of the conversation, you know, that they need some additional help. So I'll say, hey, send me your phone number. I'll call them and maybe I have to walk them through the process over the telephone. So keep in mind that, you know, you know, when you're writing somebody or you're sending an email, it's a one-way communication. They'll say, what is the price? You give them the price. But you have no idea how they're reacting. They make, oh, my God, I can't believe that that's that much. And you need, you need to hear that because that might, they may say that and then quit and stop talking to you, okay? Okay. Um, 
Telephone is the other way that they talk about it in here. Remember, telephone is a two-way communication. If you can't, if I was to say probably the best way, you know, usually with most conversations or most, you know, like today, it may very well be if you're going to take it down the line, it might be where, for example, somebody sees your house that you maybe have on the Internet, on your website or someplace else for sale. They send you an email, say, hey, listen, I'm interested in the house. You send them some information as quickly as you possibly can. Let them know how to get in contact with you and say, you know, say something like, you know, listen, I understand that I'm going to send you the information and I understand maybe you may have some questions. Please call me or let me know what your phone number is. I'm more than happy to, to talk to you on the phone because once you have them on the phone, then you can find a dialogue. You can listen to what they're saying and finding out, listen, I'm not on target. Maybe I need to give them a little more information or whatever. But the final thing is, is that you're leading from the email or the, or the letter to the phone call the purpose of the phone call is to set the appointment to then show them the house. Okay, that's where you're actually face to face and see what they basically want. You know what they really want, what they look like. It's always amazing to me how somebody will sound one way on the phone, and when you meet them in person, they're totally different. I've also find interesting too is is that people will, for example, talk a lot on the phone, and when you meet them in person, will talk very little. <laughs> so people will have different types of personalities depending upon. I've had friends of mine that would get me on the phone for an hour and we would just talk back and forth. Have a friend, a couple friends of mine that are pilots, one guy in particular, we would talk, talk, talk back and forth, you know. And then when we met personally, he was a very quiet person. He hardly would say anything. Different personality when you meet him person to person. Okay, they do talk about something called the proper use of the phone. Uh, remember, the whole purpose of your advertising campaign and contact, and I can't overemphasize this enough, is to get that telephone to ring. If you wanted to, you could actually sit down there and take all of your advertising and all of your, uh, all of your flyers and all of your efforts that you've put out with the purpose of getting somebody to call you and add them up and actually say, you know what, to get that telephone to ring cost me five bucks or ten bucks. I mean, that phone conversation is extremely important to get somebody to pick that phone up and call you. In fact, when I used to work years ago for a title insurance company, we used to have, there's two types of people that you have working at title companies. There's nothing wrong with them, but what you do is you have people that are very used to dealing with the, the outside world. They're usually escrow officers. They're very used to dealing with the public, so they're familiar with it. But in the title office part of it, the title plant, we would have title officers. And they very rarely ever talk with anybody on the outside at all. Very rarely ever talk with them. In other words, they're do, usually doing a lot of research, going through public records. But there are times that clients have to call and talk to them. And our county manager at the time, who happened to be this guy by the name of Coleman Dukes, he got so upset with the fact of the people not knowing how to conduct their, their activities on the phone right, like not how, knowing how to answer the phone. You know, you should call, when people call up, you know, you should say, hi, this is Pat Hogarty, full name, can I help you? You know, they would call up and use their last name or just say, title department, you know. I mean, he took all, the whole group of them and put them through a telephone tra <laughs> training, training class. And he taught, I remember him standing there that day and saying to them, do you know how much money it costs us to make that telephone ring, to have clients think enough of us to call us when they need, he said, we have 14 companies in this town. He said, we're one of those 14. For those clients to think enough of us, to call us and ask us for help is important. It costs us a lot of money to do that. 
Knowing how to keep, conduct yourself on the phone is extremely important. Very, very important. So you have to think about that. Uh, next thing they talk about is something called when people call in, you need to have some way, especially if you're on kind of a floor duty, some kind of an incoming call register, or some way of tracking what's happening on the telephone. In other words, you're going to have different types of phone calls. You're going to have people that are call in just wanting to know, for example, you know, what's happening with my escrow. Or, or something else, or maybe the guy calls in and says, listen, uh, your car is ready to get picked up. We're talking about people, though, that are going to call in for ads, you know, like sign ads. Typical phone calls you're going to get is you put a sign in front of the house. The idea is to let everybody know it's for sale, but you're going to get people that are going to drive by. They're going to look at the number and call you and say, could you give me some information about the house? So you're going to want to track all of those phone calls. You're going to want to know who called, and how did they find out. Some way or another, you need to find out how they found out, you know, like in the basic part of the conversation. Hi, this is Pat Hogarty. They say to you, listen, I'm interested in a house you have on 123 Main Street, downtown Sacramento. Could you tell me something about it? And you start to tell them about it, and somewhere about the third or the fourth sentence down, you need to say, them, oh, by the way, how did you find out about the property for sale? So that you know what advertising is working for you. Oh, the sign. I got your phone number off the sign. I got your phone number off the ad. I have your flyer in my hand that you had in the little plastic box on the outside. That's how I found out about it. Okay, so you need to know so that you know what works, you know. As I've said before, you know, you could put these great big ads on the side of the RT buses and spend thousands of dollars and find out it doesn't produce anything. And then put this little for sale sign on the outside of the house and find out it's generating all kinds of traffic. So you want to know what is it that's generating the traffic, why they called. Okay, they do give you an example of something called an incoming call register or roster register, if you will. You'll need to have some kind of a format of like this so that you know. And the reason why you want to have a format is this. If you're on the other end of the phone, you need, you know, sometimes a lot of us will get stumped. Like, what are we supposed to ask? What are we supposed to say? What are we supposed to do? Maybe we don't have a good day that day. Maybe we haven't had our coffee and our donut that day. Something is wrong. So if you have something there that you can follow, it just allows you to default to it, and you're just essentially filling in the blank or thinking you don't have to think of the questions. You just know what it is. So it's saying, hey, listen, you know what? These are some things that you would need to record. You know, what was the ad reference? You know, where did, in my mind, I don't care what you say. How did you find out about me? How did you get my name? What was the date? What was the address of the home and the ad? Uh, what was the name of the caller? You want to know what their name is. Remember, you're paying a lot of money to have this one guy call. What's their address, phone number, and what area are they desiring? You know, because when, you, when they call you up, they're looking at that specific house that they've heard about or they've seen in the ad in the paper. The chances of that exact house meeting their needs, well, it could or it couldn't. But in a lot of cases, it's just you know, it's something they found interesting because the way you wrote the ad or they looked at the outside of the house and it was something that interested them. But the chances of them buying that particular house is, I don't know, I would say highly improb improbable, if you will. Okay. Okay, so you want to know what area they're looking in. Are they looking in North Sacramento, downtown, West Sacramento, you know, East Sacramento? What area are they looking at? Uh, any other kind of special requirements that they would have, you know, phone, uh, things like is it important for schools, is it important that it be close to work, you know, what are they looking for, uh, pools, uh, tennis courts, whatever. Uh, type of home, 
you know, uh, are you talking about single-family home, two, you know, single-family home, you, you want to know is a two-story, condominium, townhouse, what is it you're looking for? Price range. That's important. You know, you, you know what are you looking for? $200,000, $300,000, dollars you know, what price range are you looking for? Uh, type of place of employment. In other words, are you, you know, whereabouts are you working? You work for the state, the city, the county, you know, the hospital, what is it? Uh, any kind of family information that would be important, you know, like three, you know, two kids, three kids, that all ties together because it all ties together. If they want schools, they usually have kids. If they're not concerned about school, they probably don't have kids unless there happen to be grandparents taking care of their kids' kids. You know, usually, you know, they want to know, do you own or rent it now? Uh, type of date and time of appointment that would be good comments and any kind of follow-up. So again, there's all sorts of variations on this incoming call roster, register. Uh, some of them will go vertically one after the other. Some of them will be cards. There's different ways of doing it, but the point is you want to collect information about the client. You want to find out why they called and how you can help them. Okay? Um, they next talk about answering ads, and um, I'm not so sure... I'm going to be doing this in the particular uh, uh, order in which maybe the book does, but I'll just generally talk about it. The reason why you as an agent, even so your client, your customer, your listing client, feels that the reason why you are uh, running the ad is to sell their specific house, which is true. That is a true statement. But you are also hoping to generate some more clients. That's the purpose of this. When these people call on the phone, they may very well not, that may not be the house that they're interested in. Maybe the reason why they called you is because your sign happened to be the only sign in the neighborhood, <laughs> the only for sale sign. Or maybe it was the only for sale sign that was outside of a house that was blue in color or was a two-story. Who knows why it was that they picked your name, but they did. Or you ran, an ad, you ran an ad in the newspaper, and by the way, when you get, get into the business, you're going to find out that there are classes and brokers that will spend time with you in training and tell you how to construct these ads to hopefully be able to bring out the good parts of the house so people will call. So they'll talk about, listen, if the house has a view, make sure that you put that in there. You know, If it has a beautiful pool, make sure you have it in there some way. If there's some characteristics of the house, it's really important. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to sell a client's house, but you're also trying to get the phone to ring. Because what happens is if you think of how you react as a normal consumer, you may pass by houses, you pass by cars, you pass by things that are for sale on an everyday basis until you decide that you want to buy something. The minute you get ready to buy, even if it's a car, if you decide, I'm going to buy a car today, your behavior changes totally. What you see totally changes. You're going to open up the newspaper if you receive the newspaper, and you're probably within the first couple times of looking at the paper, you're going to look at what ads there are for cars for sale. You're going to be interested. Two weeks ago, you never did that. Now you do it. Same thing when you get ready to buy a house. You know, you're going to go to the newspaper, you're going to look for the ads for sale. So what you've already done is you have put yourself in a position where you say, I'm a buyer now. I am actively looking for information that's going to help me in making an informed decision about buying a property. 
So those people, when they already drive past the house or they already pick up the paper, have sort of started to pre-qualify themselves. They're saying out of the 100,000 people that happen to live in this area, I happen to be one of those 40 or 50 people that are looking to buy a house this week. Okay, So you have to keep in mind that when this person calls, they're thinking about buying. The house that you have listed there may fit their needs, it may not. So what you're going to want to do is that when you're getting prepared to take these listings, these, you know, or get, the, get these ad calls, you're going to also want to have houses at your fingertips that could possibly fit the needs of those type of people that would call on that ad. So if you're talking about a specific area and houses with pools, you probably would want to have your computer open or your book open or something open to the houses so that when the people call and say, I saw the house for sale, it's a three-bedroom, two-bath with a two-car garage and it has a swimming pool. And by the way, you know, that sounds really great to me, but is there anything in the neighborhood that has three-car garage? That's one thing that's different. In fact, that's one of the reasons why today, why things like uh, uh, homes that have three-car garages are important, because people will put a, the first car in one garage, the second car in the second garage, and then it's usually the third garage gets the boat, the motorcycle, the kid's car gets something. So people will look nowadays. That's why you see a lot of brand-new houses are constructed with three-car garages, sometimes four. That's also why houses that have one-car garages are what we call economically obsolete because people usually want to have two-car garages. Okay, so you're going to want to kind of think, you know, that what people will specify what they want and they maybe want one thing that's different. Okay, so you're going to want to know what's for sale. Okay, um, I'm not sure what they're talking about here, but, uh, well, I'm sure I'm, I know what they're talking about here, but when a neighbor calls, uh, this is one thing that you're going to find. And I want to really kind of emphasize to you, when a neighbor calls or a neighbor comes to your open house, treat them like a customer. In fact, it drives me nuts to go out and look at an open house on a weekend and walk in the door and talk a couple minutes and get the flyer in my hand and get ready to walk around the house and say to the agent, oh, by the way, I live across the street, and they say, Oh, well, I'm kind of running out of flyers. Why don't you give that one back to me? I mean, I'm serious. This, this just drives me nuts. It just drives me crazy. The reason why is that people, when they are in the neighborhood, you want them to come down to that house. In fact, agents that are really trying to promote the open house will use that as an opportunity to meet the people in the neighborhood. It's not uncommon for it. Now, not bad agents, good agents, successful agents. Agents that want to make money in the business, you know, not the ones that just want to drink coffee and sit around the office and complain about the real estate market. I mean, the ones that want to be successful will probably take flyers and go down the street and leave flyers off at people's houses to let them know that the open house is coming up next weekend or this weekend and invite them down. Because guess what? A couple things may happen. Sometimes those people may very well know somebody that they really like, a relative or a friend or uh, a son or a daughter that is looking to buy in that area. It's not uncommon for people to come to Sacramento and have the mother or the father move here or the kids move here or an aunt or an uncle move here and then turn around and have some relatives visit them and say, you know what, this Sacramento is a pretty nice place. From what I can see, I'm visiting in the wintertime and the weather is really not that bad. It's kind of nice. It doesn't get freezing cold. You know, we, all the weather is very predictable. You know, hey, I'd like, to leave, I'd like to live here. So I know a lot of people where, you know, the, 
one member of the family comes. Next year, somebody else comes. <laughs> Before you know it, everybody in town or in that community is, is, is related. That's very, very important that you realize that. The second thing is, is I'm here to tell you that a lot of times people, even if they live in the neighborhood and they would swear to you that they're never going to move, could very well change their mind like that. And I'm standing here to tell you that I'm one of them. A couple years ago, if you had knocked on my door where I was living and said, hi, I'm with ABC Realtors and I'm, you know, I'm uh, just want to let you know that um, you know, I'm selling the house down the street in case you're interested in, in listing your house or whatever you happen to say. My answer to you would have been, I am not going to sell. I'm going to retire. I'm going to live here. Guess what? About two days later, I was signing a contract to buy a new house. I, it was totally unpredictable. It happened to be, in fact, I was putting in an addition onto my house. But what happened is my wife and I went out. We were looking at some houses. And guess what? We walked into a house and said, we love this place. Next thing you know, it was almost like a sanity. Here I am down there signing paperwork and, 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 and you, know, you know, buying the house. So a lot of us sometimes don't even know as individuals what we're going to do. But if you've got that neighbor across the street that you've gotten upset, you know, and they may not show it because you've said to them, well, you're really not that important. Give me the flyer back and I'll give it to a real buyer. You know, you know that person could actually end up being one of your sources of business. Very, very important you treat them well. And you really do want to get that information. You'll see agents successful. Now, let me stress successful. Successful agents will do things like maybe send postcards out when the houses are listed for sale. You say, hey, by the way, that house down the street, here's the, here's the particulars on it. If you know somebody wants to buy it, let me know. They'll also, so they'll, it's called just listed cards. Uh, they'll put flyers out when they have open houses. And guess what? They'll also do the opposite when they sell. They'll say, hey, by the way, I just sold the house down the street. What, that, what is that saying? It's saying that you're an agent, you're successful in the neighborhood, you know how to sell houses, and listen, if they're looking at selling their house, maybe you'd be a good guy or a good gal to sell it. Okay, very, very important. Enough said with that. Um, after that, they're giving you some things that you may want to say when the phone rings. And you can look at these things as being negative or positive things. What I basically do is say to yourself, you know, if you're in the sales business for a while, you're going to get used to the fact that people, by and large, are going to give you the same statements or the same objections or the same answers to questions after a while. They're kind of like students. You know, I mean, I can tell you right now, if you're not going to take an exam or you're going to be late for taking an exam, I can give you a list of, of, of answers and say, pick, the, pick the, the number out. I already know what the answer is. Very rarely is there anything any different. So the point is, is if you already know what clients possibly may say when they call on the phone, that might be what we call an objection, something that would prevent you from saying, listen, I don't want to deal with you right now. Or don't ask me that question. That's happened to you before. It's happened to somebody else before. So how do you handle that? What they're really saying is they're saying, help me, but I feel a little bit uncomfortable. And the reason why I feel uncomfortable is because I really don't know you very well. And think about that. Put yourself in the same situation. When you first meet somebody and you're getting ready to buy, you feel threatened. You feel a little bit in an adversarial position. When you get ready to buy, in most cases, the reason why you're buying is because you have started to warm up to the salesperson. 
they have said something or they have done something that makes you feel comfortable. And once you bring down that barrier, then you're willing to deal with them. And if you really think about it, whenever you get ready to buy, you'll go out and look at a lot of different things that you're getting ready to buy. I don't care if it's cars, TV sets, whatever it happens to be. But the person you're going to buy from, by and large, is going to be you're going to buy from them because you like them, because you have struck up some kind of an understanding with them. And that's what you're trying to do. And in order to do that, you may have to overcome some objections in order to get there. So... They're giving you some things here. They're saying, this, uh, okay, they're saying callers ask many, many questions about ads and signs and raise many objections to meeting with an agent in person when they merely want information. To become a successful agent or broker, you need to be aware of these roadblocks and be prepared to overcome them, even if it takes memorizing sets of responses until you get ready to do it, because you're going to find things and you'll remember them. It's like I have my standard set of responses. <laughs> you know, that I give in any kind of a class, you know. I mean, it's the same. You do the same thing, you know, wherever you work. Uh, you have the same thing that you do. Uh, it will pay off if you have ready answers to most frequently asked questions. Make up your mind that the next time the prospects ask for the address, you will convince them that they are better served if they visit your office and elect you as their official house hunter. Okay, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to, you're trying to qualify them. Make sure that they're really seriously interested by by asking them some questions. And number two, you want them you want them to choose you. Okay, doesn't mean you're going to do this 100% of the time. Also means that there's some clients that you don't want to work with. <laughs> You'll say, if I have to work if I have to if I have to work with that person and help them sell houses, I'm going to stand on the corner of Arden Way and Cal Expo with a sign that says, "I'll work for food." You know, I am not going to work with this person. I do not get along with them. I'm not going to spend the time. I'm just going to get aggravated, okay? So you're going to have people like that, and you're going to have other people that you like, okay? People are people. So anyway, they give you in here some of these questions you may get and with some answers you can think about. So, for example, uh, somebody will say to you, what is the size and the location, the down payment price, uh, style, etc.?" And you can have several different answers. I'm by no means going to read all of these. I'm just going to point them out, and then we're going to move on. It says, well, here's one of the answers you can use. Uh, what kind of footage, location, down payment price, house are you looking for? So what you're essentially doing is that they're asking you a question, and you're asking them a question back to try to clarify what it is that they want. Because what you, one of the things you don't want to do a lot of times is have somebody ask you a question, and then you sit there for the next 10 minutes, and I'm guilty of this constantly, you know, and I give you a bunch of stuff, and you get all done, and I can tell, and I look at the student, and I go, I'm not answering their question. I completely misunderstood what that student asked me. So then usually I'll go back and say, am I answering your question? I'll go, not really. And I'll say, okay, is this what it is? No, I really meant this. Oh, okay. And then, you know, go back. So it is important that you clarify their question with a question, okay, to get, instead of just spewing out 10 minutes worth of information, okay? And as I said, we're all guilty of doing that. Um, uh, next thing, they have, uh, if you, uh, you know, again, same question. If you don't know the answer, say, I don't have the answer, but that Mr. Chandler, uh, Mr. Chandler, whoever the name is, but I'll be happy to look it up for you. That is a very good standard answer. Now, you don't want to use that all the time. You don't want to meet with a client, and every time they ask a question, you say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. They're going to go, 
I don't think maybe I would hire this person. But there is an understanding there are certain things you, you don't know. They may ask you something like, what's the school district? And you may know what the high school is, you know, the, uh, the grammar school is, but you don't know the name of the junior high, okay? Or they may ask you, uh, they may ask you what the current, you know, the, the local, I don't know, shopping center is, what kind of food store? Is it Rally's or is it Ralph's? And you don't know. So you just have to say, I don't know, you know, but I can find out, okay? So you need to know that. Um, another answer might be answer the question but follow up with the request for action. So, for example, perhaps you'd like to see you answer their question. You know, in other words, it's 2,000 square feet, it's purple in color, has uh, orange rooms in it, whatever it happens to be. And then you come down and you say, perhaps you'd like to see it this afternoon or would tomorrow be better? That's the other thing. Don't give people, uh, uh, this is another sales thing, don't have them where you give them the yes or no. What you basically do is, do you want to see it? They're going to say no. Okay? They either say yes or no. What you basically do is say, would you like to see it this afternoon or tomorrow morning? Which one would be more convenient for you? Okay? Then what they have to do is answer back and say, either this afternoon, tomorrow, or say, I don't want to deal with you. Get out of one or the other, you know. And it's good to know. So hopefully, what I, all I really want to get across here is when you look at this, that these are questions and answers. Here's another one. Will they sell on a GI Bill or FHA? Which means that the person feels that in order for them to buy the house, it tells me a couple things. It tells me that they're not going to have a lot of money to put as a down payment. It also tells me that most likely the first time or second time buyer. It's telling me that they're looking, you know, that they, they might be, you know, pressing the financial wall to begin with because it's their first or second house. Um, and the reason why they want to know this is probably because they've been looking at some property and they found out that some owners don't want to sell to people that want FHA and VA loans because of the fact that there's a long time frame or because they're going to be forced to pay certain costs. There's a lot of things that one question, <laughs> a lot of things you get from that. So it's his answer. That's a possibility. It's always a possibility. Uh, or, I, or, I'm sorry, it's not, but I can, uh, can help you put in, in touch with a couple of lenders. Um, the reason why it may not be a possibility is because the, the, the limit on the, on the loan is this level and the house is this price and it's not going to work. Or it might be where the owner has said to you flat out, I'm not going to go with a VA or FHA loan. But keep in mind, they may very well say that in the beginning. If the house has been on the market for a while, and now you're running into a situation where they're saying, listen, I need to sell this thing, they may very well, even so they keep saying it, may very well entertain that offer. Because it might be something like, listen, you know, I have no other offers. Nobody has come around. There are no other birds in the bush. There's nobody else for me to get. You know, this is the first offer from somebody that I've had that's interested. The only thing is that they want to use their VA loan. How can I work with that, okay? So again, all I want you to do is to see that these are questions with some answers, okay? In a real sales class, if you haven't done this before, we would do things like uh, we'd role play and practice and do a lot of fun things with this, get used to it, okay? So anyway, that's enough of that. I just want you to read those things and become familiar with them. They're kind of fun. They do talk about something here called the switch sheet on page 177. And um, this is kind of emphasizing, again, what I've talked about originally, 
what they mean by switch sheet is that callers rarely end up buying the properties about which they originally call. In other words, what they're saying is they call on the house with the sign in front of it, but that's not the one they buy. They buy another one that you show them. Moreover, many advertised homes may sell before the uh, caller inquires about them. So if you have a house that's really been a hot house, like everybody sits around and says, you know, all your agents in the office take a tour and they go, that thing is the greatest house. Man, that's beautiful. You know, I've got clients for that. And you figure, oh, I'm going to run an ad in the newspaper this weekend. And before you know it, you've got three, three offers on it because it's that nice of a house. I mean, it shows well. It looks good. It looks inviting. And before you can even do it, that house, they saw the sign, and by the time you're actually able to put an, uh, you know, take them out and show them, you've already got an offer on it because it looks that good. There are certain houses that just when they show, they look just beautiful, and they, and they sell very easily because they're very attractive. But it says, moreover, many advertised homes may sell before the inquiries to them. Therefore, it is important to be prepared at all times to show similar properties. For this purpose, a series of switch sheets should be made up in advance on these uh, um, on these sheets show the addresses and the prices so forth of properties that might be comparable and there's a lot of different ways to do that in the multiple listing system now you can go in and do data queries and pull up a list of properties using the, the Metrolist system of categories of property and just have sheets in front of you that you can open up and say yes I have a house that's in that area that's a four bedroom th three bath with a three car garage okay. alright so I think I think that that's all I want to mention on that. The next thing they talk about in here is something called a caravan. And let me just mention what that is. <clears throat> this is a caravan. A switch sheet ensures that you have access to comparable properties to which you can direct calls if, for some reason, inappropriate or, or, or the properties are unavailable. While it's important to review the document daily, it's even more efficient in habit if it, if, if, the, if it is that, I'm sorry, let me read that again. While it's important to review this document daily, an even more efficient habit is that of the office caravan. An office caravan is a weekly outing whereby available salespersons from one office preview together in a van or separately and individual cars, all of the newest listings. I can't overemphasize how important this is. There usually are two types of caravans that are done every single solitary week. Remember how I had, you know, normally all of the brand new listings that your office gets sometime during the week, maybe in conjunction with a sales meeting, the people will get together in the cars after the meeting and they will go out and they will look at the new properties. That solves a lot of problems or, or helps you in a lot of issues. The first thing is, is you get to be very familiar and intimately involved in what's on the market. Now, you may be only going to spend maybe three, four, ten minutes in the house, but you will have walked through the house and have a mental picture of yourself of what the house looks like. That's one thing. So when somebody calls up and gives you some characteristics, you'll have pictures little, like a little movie camera in your mind of what's on the market. The second thing that it does is it helps you expand your knowledge of what the value of the homes are selling for in the area. And that becomes very important. The other kind of caravan you'll have besides your individual office is that there's always a multiple listing, what we call MLS meeting, once a week uh, in every single area, in the Sacramento area, 
in, or in Sacramento County, there's a, there is a main meeting in which all the realtors that are available come to at the Sacramento Association of Realtors at 2003 Howe Avenue. I think it's about 8, 8.30 in the morning. It's always the first Tuesday of the month. They have a general speaker, and then they, then they have some more speakers, some doffee, coffee donuts, and go out on a big caravan, a big list of homes. Then the other weeks, they'll have what we call regional meetings. There's one in Elk Grove, one in South Sacramento, one in Orangevale, and one where the main meeting is. And it's the same situation. They'll come in, have a little business meeting, and then there'll be a list of properties, and they'll go on a caravan. Again, it's a good way for you to get familiar. In fact, in my internship class, I, students always encourage them, and they all go on these tours so that they become familiar. They want to see. And who goes on those tours is always the real estate agents. It's usually the first time the house is on the market. And the reason why they're doing it is so that the agent that has the listing exposes it to all the other agents that sell properties in the area and, uh, and also to get that feedback from the agents too, you know, to find out, hey, did I price the house right? Does it look like it's going to sell? All that other kind of stuff. Okay, very, very important part. Also helps you when you go out to do a, a comparative market analysis because when they start asking you about the house down the street, you've been in the house down the street. And the reason why you've been in it is because you took the tour, so you know that it has a swimming pool or you can talk intelligently about it. Okay. Um, after that, they talk about, oh, God. They talk about something about the, what they call the critical path of selling. Um, I'll just talk this, if you will. They're just breaking this stuff down into steps. All you're really talking on what we call a pre-approach is making sure that you prepare yourself for the meetings that you're going to have. So if you're going out on a listing appointment, make sure that you've pulled up all the comparable listings. Make sure you have all your literature, all your forms, all your stuff being prepared to go out. Have pulled up the multiple listings, found out what comparable properties sell for in the area. Make sure you do your homework. So you're prepared for it. So you're able to show and listen at the same time. Okay. If you're if you're showing properties, make sure you know with buyers. Make sure you spent the time to look up what properties are for sale on the market. Make sure you've called the owners, find out if you have permission to go and see it. Okay. Um, okay. Let me move down the road so that we get through this. There is a lot of stuff that's in the book on how to prepare for this prepare for these kinds of things. They talk about things such as the initial contact or meeting or greeting. Um, most of this goes the same. as whenever you have the interview, be on time. The best encourage prospective buyers to come to your office rather than meet them in their home. That really depends upon how comfortable you feel. For me, it doesn't bother me either way. It doesn't make any difference to me. You know, I'll meet you wherever you want. Coffee shop, donut shop, ice cream parlor. It doesn't make any difference. I... And I think that comes with years of experience. You just don't, you don't feel threatened. You know, you just say, what will work for you? Starbucks? Not a problem. I'll be there. Okay. But in the beginning, you may feel more like, hey, I want to have them in the office or whatever. Whatever's convenient for the client. I want the client to feel comfortable. I'll feel comfortable. I'm not worried about it. I want the client to feel comfortable. Uh, Anyway, after the greeting, buy, uh, the buyers cement the relationship with a warm, firm, friendly handshake, offering a beverage. All these things are really important. I mean, I could read those, but they're really, really important. What you want to do is you want to make the client feel comfortable. I mean, it's not uncommon for me, I guess maybe because I'm a granddad. You know, if they've got kids with them, you know, I'll let them play with the computer. I'll, you know, I mean, you do whatever it makes people feel comfortable. That's what you're really looking for. You want to make them feel comfortable. 
Um, that's what you're trying to do. You want to build that trust to make them feel comfortable. They do talk about something called in here called counseling buyers. Um, just as before prospects purchase a home, they must have financial ability, desire, and intent to buy the home. And essentially, the way that I look at this is that when you're working with buyers, you want to go through some kind of a process that's going to be pre-qualification. Pre-qualification, in my mind, is first of all, what are you looking for? What kind of a house? What do you comfortably feel that you can afford? What area do you want to live in? You know, making sure that's nailed down. And the second thing is, is you want them to make sure that they can financially qualify for it. So you may ask them, have you already looked and shopped for a loan? You know? And be honest with them. Just say, I want, you know, I want to make sure, you know, that if I'm showing you something that, you know, you qualify. Have you done that, you know? And you may find out they may say, you got to qualify. If it's a first-time buyer, what do you mean qualify for a loan? So you may have to spend some time counseling and working with them, okay, helping them out, helping them understand. Again, this is on a one-on-one. -on -one. How you work with that, how you deal with that is your perceptive, perception of what they need at that time. You're going to find out that somebody that is buying their first home maybe needs a lot of hand-holding, a lot of help, a lot of knowledge on how to do it. Somebody who's buying their 5th, 10th, or 20th home already understands the process, basically is more concerned about the area or types of homes that are for sale. So you need to find that out. You need to work with them. Um, They do, give you, um, they do give you something here, what they call, when you're qualifying the credit rules of thumb, the three C's. I'll mention this and then move on. They say qualifying buyers must include an evaluation of their credit by an institutional lender. What I look at is, is that when you're getting ready to get a loan and qualify them, the first thing that you have to look at is do they have the capability to make the house payments. That means that the lender has to be able to sit down and say to them, you know, how much money do you make? How much money are you currently paying in debt? How much money is left for you to make the house payment? That's called your capability, you know, or your capacity, your capacity to make house payments. That's one category. Second category that you have to look at is your willingness. That, to me, is your credit rating. How willing have you been to make your payments on time? In other words, what is your FICO score? What is your credit rating? You know, have you been somebody that's always paid on time, or are you somebody that's always late? If you're late all the time, your FICA score is going to be down. doesn't mean you can't qualify, but you're going to pay a higher interest rate. Okay? All right. And then they talk about something called capital. And the last one, capital is your current available assets to the borrower. In other words, what can you use to put as a down payment? Okay. Um, I just want you, I think this is kind of a kicker, and I think this is important. One of the things that you'll be learning about is, is that you can kind of figure out when you're dealing with buyers or sellers, people in general, there are different categories or types. Some of this comes with experience, and it may take a while to figure out what type they are, but there are some leading indicators, if you will, that will help you understand where they're coming from. They've broken them down into seven categories. Sometimes they have three, sometimes four, sometimes ten, depending upon the author. But just so you're aware of, this author is saying there's seven types of, of buyers, it could be buyers or sellers, doesn't make any difference, that have been identified that you should recognize and deal with accordingly. Number one, you have somebody called the selfish buyer. Wants a better deal than anybody else. They're trying to chisel everybody out of everything. 
You know, if the, guy, if the average house in the area is selling for $300,000 and a good deal would be two ninety, dollars are the people that want it for two forty, dollars and they want you to get, kick in half your commission. Just so you recognize who they are. You have a friendly buyer. I really like these people, the friendly buyers. These are people that come in. They're very nice. They'll buy you coffee. They'll, they'll, they'll lunch. But they can never come to a decision. <laughs> never. Very nice. I mean, oh, God, yeah, hey, listen, you went to my school? Hey, great, you know. I, hey, I went to Sac City, too, you know, blah, 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 really nice. You want a donut? A but they never make a decision. You can't get them nailed down to anything. Just so you recognize that that's who you're dealing with. There's some variation of it. You've got the person called a worrier. I've got, I've got a guy in my internship class that kind of like, like this, and I, once in a while I've got to say him, stop it. Because it, no matter what it is, if you tell me you got to do something, it's kind of like, well, wait a minute. You know, if this happens, what happens on my way there if, you know, my car breaks down and the right front tire goes flat and I'm going, Mike, stop it. <laughs> you know, you get people and they make me nervous. I had one time where I had a guy that rented a motorhome for me and kept asking me questions. The only thing I remember about that is he had all these different scenarios. And guess what? Those things started to happen to him. He was accident prone, you know. You've got the shy type. It's, they're often artistic, uh, intellectual. They may take a while to start talking. And then after you say, they find that they're good listeners, but they take a while. Sometimes you think that they're, uh, they're aloof. They don't want to deal with you. But what it is is it's just that they're shy. Uh, you've got belligerent. Love these people. Belligerent type must. And by the way, they always act the same way. You know, if they're belligerent to you, if these people are this way with you, they're that way whenever they deal with anything else. Okay? Uh, you know, in other words, they may leave you, and they're going to be shy someplace else. Or they're going to be belligerent someplace It's just the way that they conduct their life. A belligerent is, uh, it must, ha ha must say, face at all costs. These types never, uh, never need to win every argument, in fact. Don't, ag <clears throat> don't argue with these buyers at all. If you win the argument, you lose risking them. They've always got to be right. They, they just are, you know, and they walk around when you, you know, I just. You got somebody called the detail-minded uh, type. These people will want to see every single solitary detail. These are also students like you guys that are in my class that I could give an exam for two years in a row, same question. These are the people that will find the mistakes, the misspelled words. Nobody else found them, but these people did, you know what I mean? They are extremely detailed, and you need to give them time to go over that. They can also be so detailed that they can analyze things to the fact that they get, get, become paralyzed. They can't make a decision. So they want to look at every solitary single thing. And you need to kind of figure out where, at what point can you say to them, that's enough. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay. And then you have somebody called the highly controlled buyer, loves tradition, uh, lives with a strict code of rules, will not deviate, and likes uh, nothing new. I can think of, we have a lot of people around here like that. Treat this type of conservatively and avoid getting personal. Assure them of uh, the stability, respectability. I mean, these are people, whenever you say anything, and if they even think that you might be breaking any, fracturing, not breaking, fr as Eddie Murphy would say, fracturing a rule, they, they go, oh, I'm not, just not going to do that. That's terrible. You know, so just realize you have different types of people. You cannot treat the people the same. You have to watch and listen what they are. It may take, you may f be able to figure them out right away. It may take a while to figure them out. I find is 
I'm 56 years old. I still can't figure out a lot of people. I, I'm always surprised with students, especially with students. I'll have people where I'll think, oh my God, this person is just not going to, they're not going to make, you know, in my mind, they're not going to make it. And then they'll say to, but I'm always aware of the people that will ask me something and you start watching their behavior and they, what they're asking you for is advice and then you find out they follow your advice. You know, you, you, they say, I don't know how to do this. I'm nervous. So you say, well, you know, like say with a computer, and I'll say, well, I want you to go over to building one, you know, go over the business building, first floor, room 151, and I want you to do this. And you know what? They come back the next time and say, I went over there and I did what you did. And, you know, I met a guy over there and he helped me out. And what they do is that at first they make you think that they're not going to do it, but then they follow through and, and you find out they're really good to work with. Okay, so it's, but it's hard. It's hard. That human behavior takes a while. You never have the solid answer. But it's kind of fun. We've mentioned this before about the sales kit. You need to look at this. This is just a list of things that you need to always make sure you have with you, okay? As I've mentioned before, what you do not want to do is to be out of your office where the client that says, I love the house, I want to make a purchase offer. It's 8 o'clock at night, and you don't have <laughs> a purchase offer agreement, okay? So anyway... Um, the last thing I'm going to mention, and we don't necessarily have the time to, to go over this, but they have what we call the sale, and we have things called closing techniques. Okay? And closing techniques have to do with how you go about winding up the transaction. Okay? You're going to talk about a lot of things, show a lot of things, but there's going to get to be a point where you're going to have to close the transaction. And so it has to do with, just like we do with objections, what ways are you going to finally approach the closing of the transaction? This happens to be as a classic example when you get ready to buy a car and finally after all the fraud, the law, the salesperson turns around and puts the contract in front of you and puts the pen down and says, write your name here. How will you get to that point? Okay? And when you get to that point and you say, write your name here, then you shut your mouth. You don't say another word. Because the minute, what you want to do is you want to have the client turn around and say, okay, have the feeling, okay, now we're done, we're ready to make a decision. And if it takes three hours, you never say another word. Four hours. Because the minute you say something to the client, you know what they do? It diverts their attention. What they're really doing is sitting in there and going, well, can I really make the payments on time? You know, they're, they're trying to sort through it in their mind. Some people can do that like in half a minute, and some people may take five or ten minutes. You just don't say anything. If they ask a question, you give them one answer. You don't, you don't go into a, a big elaboration. You give them the answer and shut up again. Okay, that's the, how you handle it because they're thinking. They're processing what needs to be done. Okay? So anyway, this is the end of show 10, and we will see you back here again the next time for show number 11. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.